Welcome to Season 2 of the Adult Children Voices Across America Speakers Meeting Podcast. You can attend this meeting live on Thursdays at 6 p.m. Pacific Time using the Zoom ID 848-5208-0640, password 061120. For more information about adult children of alcoholics and dysfunctional families, visit adultchildren.org. The following speaker share from Ellie was recorded on November 18th, 2021. Well, I thank you very much. Hello, everybody. It's really nice to be back with you. I am Ellie. I have been um, very grateful for the recovery that I have um, worked hard to achieve in my life thus far. I love the saying that we have in program that it's it's progress, not perfection, because I'll never hit the the perfection piece ever um, until heaven. That's uh, <laughs> I won't hit it here, but to strive to do it is is really essential, really important for me to do. I wanted to talk about emotional sobriety. <clears throat> I might be stopping to take a drink of uh, my water a little bit. I'm uh, a little raspy today, <clears throat> but anyway, with the emotional sobriety, I wanted to talk about that as a topic, because I think that it really is a conduit to the barometer to see how well I'm doing in my life. If my emotional sobriety is there, then I'm really in a good place. And and what I think always happens before I do. And so um, actions speak louder than words. But what I have thought in my head is going to forward what my body does. Um, and so, and really what my, my thoughts are, are powerful. And I have learned to navigate a lot of those thoughts that, um, you know, once they come in, it's what I do with them, which makes all the difference. Um, so I have been in program for um, coming up to uh, 40 years. Um, it's kind of, I'm 63. I can't even believe I'm saying that, but um, I started in program when I was uh, 12. I was in Alateen and moved into um, Al-Anon. There was not an ACA back in those days. And when ACA was very new, I attended meetings in Chicago. And it was only maybe a year old or so at that time when it came into the city of Chicago that I was, was attending. And I've said this before in meetings that people that were uh, were coming, I mean, we did not have the blessing of having any literature whatsoever. There was zero. We had to use AA LNN literature. There was nothing else. And um, people were coming into the meetings and just so angry, so angry and screaming. There was a lot of screaming in the meetings. And I ended up actually leaving Chicago. I married at that time and uh, ended up moving to a suburb of Chicago and co-founded a uh, group in Libertyville, Illinois, which is uh, close to Mundelein, Illinois, where I live outside the suburb of a suburb of Chicago. And that meeting um, was um, 33 years ago that that meeting was uh, founded. And so I, I take a lot of gratitude for um, my journey because it's in what happened in that meeting in Chicago and, and how I saw 
all that anger and was so aware of um, the woundedness, the damage. And that's where that anger came from. It was a, it was a, um, the T the valve, you know, uh, the water spout valve just opening and just people just spewing as we had this opportunity to speak of parents and what happened in our childhoods. There was just such a deep well of stuff down there, woundedness down there that nothing else was going to get unless you went down deep. And I, I know that that's why ACA works so very well, because it really does get to the root of what is happening. And that is uh, very, very powerful. I am thankful for AA. I'm thankful for, um, for Al-Anon in those years that I had and for Alatine too. It kept me in a place that I, I think would have been a lot worse in my life. Um, I did not become addicted to drugs or alcohol like so many others. Um, and I do attribute a lot of that to my early, I'll call it my early intervention, my early times and program and developing friendships that really made a difference in my life, even though I had definitely had my years of waywardness. So now stepping into this emotional sobriety, I want to speak of that because, as I say, it is the conduit to a good life. Because what I think always is going to navigate what I do. And so the emotional part of that is what I feel in my senses and how they come into play with my emotions. Um, thank you, Dottie, for um, getting those emotion sheets ready so quickly for me. I'm going to ask you to put those up in a minute. And then we were just trying to navigate, like, how would you, how would you get those? Um, so you could have them, maybe you want to put them up on your refrigerator or in your office or what have you, but um, they, they will give you a, it's like the fishing hook before you throw it in the water. It's, you can catch the fish when you do that, right? So you can, you can catch the, the emotion, identify it, and, and um, work with it if you know what it is. And um, sobriety, when we talk about the emotional piece, then we have sobriety. And what is sobriety? It's in different ways. We know as AA, if, if you were an AA, um, sobriety would be abstaining from alcohol. Um, sobriety in this regard, emotional sobriety is to be sober minded, to be present, to be coherent, to be able to navigate, um, in a peaceful, direct and clear, good way, the way of being. And so for me, that's what it is. It's being straight in my thinking, not foggy. It's being sober-minded in my thinking. And so I like to put those two words together, emotional sobriety. And so in my case, it was my emotions that were out of check. Uh, I grew up in an alcoholic home with a dad that was, uh, that was, I don't know if any of you, I've said this in a previous meeting for those of you who are a little older, maybe, or like to listen to old time uh, movies and uh, shows. This was the Honeymooners, Jackie Gleason. He was in the Honeymooners and that was my dad. My dad looked like him. My dad acted like him. That was my dad. And um, when my dad was uh, drunk, when he was angry, uh, he was really rageful. And because of my dad's size, 
uh, that that called us all to attention when he started to get up and move towards us because he was a very he was a big man. Um, I am one of the lucky ones. Just a little side note: my dad did get sober when I was twelve. He was only fifty, and he ended up uh, he had thirteen years of sobriety and died at age fifty of uh, cancer back in nineteen eighty four or eighty two. But uh, at any rate. Um, I want to put those um, slides up that if you would just put that global one up there that just that first one that says emotions at the top. If you would just show that one. What's the first word on the feelings list on that list? Uh, it has all the faces. All the faces. Okay. Yeah. So this, this is a sheet that I actually would utilize. Um, it, with my own children years ago, I, I have six children, three girls and three boys, ranging in age from 19 to 35. And um, I kept this up on the um, refrigerator for a long time, years, I would have to say. And when my children would feel something, when I would see them in a way, I would say, okay, how are you think you're feeling? See, across that first line, the third word is angry. Angry, we would say, is where we would say we feel oftentimes, or I would say I would, I felt oftentimes angry, but I wasn't just like angry. I may have, I, I initially it was like stepping up a ladder. I had other feelings that came up before that anger hit. Um, and some of those words were, are, are on here, um, embarrassed, um, discouraged, sad, and it just moved up the ladder to hit that. I almost wish that angry was highlighted and starred. I ought to have done that before I, I copied it perhaps, but angry is the top of the ladder. That is the top feeling. Um, at the bottom, if I showed this in ladder form, would be would be sadness. Maybe it would be uh, maybe it would be um, embarrassment. Even uh, oftentimes in my life, I became embarrassed about something or humiliated about something before I moved up the ladder to feeling angry. And uh, but it showed as anger, but it was really the underlayment of some of these other things that came up. Lonely sometimes. Um, so if you were moving to a, the next sheet, Dottie, that you could show, and that would be, um, this is a feeling checklist. Um, we have positive feelings too. We have uh, the love, affection, and concern. Do you see that one, Dottie? What's the first word on the first column? Uh, admired. Okay. <clears throat> and so this one, everybody, uh, we have good feelings too. Um, but again, I the top would be, I think would be um, love, happiness, you know, but I may not just be feeling happy. I may be feeling, and so many times it's good to use these words for me, um, that I'm feeling uh, giddy. I, I'm feeling, um, I'm, I'm feeling joyful. I'm feeling admired, you know, uh, so many of these things. Um, go to the next slide, Dottie, that would be amused. It says feeling checklist site of uh, elation and joy. 
And so here it says amused and cheerful, enchanted. How wonderful. I, you know, just a thought I'm wondering, curious about how many of you might be ever using these words or do you just say happy? Do you ever use words like, hey, I'm feeling triumphant, I'm feeling inspired, I'm feeling ecstatic. How powerful for me to use these words in my life. Um, It has connected me much deeper in my relationships. And as I encourage others to use these too, as I am mentoring someone, working with someone, sponsoring someone, This has been a conduit to tapping into a deeper place within the soul uh, with these feelings. And then the other the other one, um, Dottie, is um, abandoned. It says abandoned on there. And so these are feeling checklists for depression. So, you know, I'm feeling depressed. Well, maybe I'm really not feeling depressed as much as maybe I'm just feeling abandoned. Maybe I'm feeling forlorn in the dumps, low, pitiful, rotten. There's all these other words that that elicit what may be said as a depression, but maybe it's not depression. Maybe it's feeling discarded, despaired, out of sorts, regretful. Um, And Dottie, I know that didn't come up. There we go. There we go. Thank you, Daddy. I see you working hard on my behalf. I appreciate it. Uh, reprimanded, um, gloomy, done for, rejected, unloved, washed up, whipped, and whipped in an emotional level. Um, if I asked for a show of hand, hands, how many of you have felt whipped on an emotional level? I, I would suppose I would get a lot of hands. I know mine would be up. Uh, And then let's go over to distress. There's this feeling checkward, afflicted, baffled, imprisoned, lost. How powerful. You know, when I work with with others, I am a special ed teacher by trade, uh, quotes, air quotes, you know, uh, by trade. I'm a retired special ed teacher. I retired about a year and a half ago. And um, very powerful for me to... Um, talk about these words with my special ed kids, talk about any of these words, to talk about some of these words when I'm in a staff meeting, when we are all feeling like the picture, how stressed that face looks up in the right-hand corner. And um, that's how I felt at times. But to be able to name it instead of just saying, I feel distressed, to name it deeper really helped me to tap into being able to change my uh, way of thinking and come into some emotional sobriety. And then we have that fear and anxiety, which is the bottom part of that. And so what are other words I would use for anxiety and fear? Um, Those would be the top of the ladder, right? But what other words? Restless, nervous, tense, terrified, terrified. That's a powerful word. Um, I felt terrified as a kid, but I never used that word. But as I was moving into healing in my life, 
I use that word, and it helped me to get the train on the track so it would go better down the, the, the track, you know, instead of being a wheel off of that, of, if I was the train. And then um, finally, Daddy, would you go to the, yes, the last one, anger, hostility, and cruelty, which starts with agitated. There's agitated and hard, enraged, resentful, severe, rude, ruthless, callous. So lots of those words, again, using these words help me. They help me in my fourth step inventory. I use these, this feeling checklist in my fourth step inventory and utilize different words as I was journeying through my fourth step and talking about situations and doing the, I've, I've done the workbook, both of them a, a couple times each for sure. Uh, so, Daddy, thank you. You can take that down, and I thank you very much. So, I, I, I'm hoping that those those feeling words will be be something that perhaps you might want to put into your repertoire of of um, moving you forward in your own emotional sobriety. And so, again, my sobriety, uh, my emotional sobriety, has made me to be more present. Um, what happened to me is. Um, and I say this to newcomers, I say this to people in, in meetings that, you know, the way that we connect is through our emotions. And it doesn't matter whether an ACA, it's just human beings, you know, uh, we connect in that regard. And I am so much more present in my life today because I have, I have becoming into a place of knowing myself so much more quickly, so much more accurately, so much more consistently in my life, because I am much more tapped in and attuned to um, God's presence in my life, um, who helps me fundamentally, uh, foundationally in my life, as well as just being able to know how I feel. I am so grateful today I can say, I know how I feel today. I can tap into that emotion pretty quick today and be able to talk about it. And, you know, honestly, it's so good because in my marriage, I've been married for 37 years um, to Ron. Uh, and we have definitely, you know, 37 years of marriage. It's uh, It's been good and it's been bad. It's been hard and it's been easy. It's been wanting to throw the towel in and then taking it back and saying, no, you know, this is, this is an investment I have. This is uh, an investment with my six children. This is an investment for what I'm leaving behind. Um, the legacy I leave for my children. It's an investment for how I live the only life that God gave me. Um, and so I want to be very fully alive in my marriage, in my life, I want to be present in seeing how others are looking. What I have noticed in emotional sobriety is the more that I can gauge how I'm feeling and be aware of how I'm feeling and work on my stuff, my woundedness, my stuff, um, the more quickly I can see another um, in how they are being, especially my children. I, I have a a son who's 19, who's living at home still and um, in, in school on Zoom right now. 
and uh, a daughter who's 22 who's uh, still at home and four who are not at home. Two married, one grandchild, and um, two that are just single and not living at home. And um, it's interesting. Uh, what I know, and not surprising to me, is, is um, those um, children of mine, um, they they have their stuff still with me. They have their stuff with themselves. But I am so grateful that in my emotional sobriety, I want to be present with them. I want to tap into where I see them struggling. And, and I'm curious to know, did I, do I have a part in that? Is there a rock I need to unturn? Is there a, an amend I need to make? Is there a conversation I need to have? Is there a pausing that I need to just kind of go into neutral and talk about? Um, when I am brave, and I am so much more brave in my life today, and I can step into that and ask them questions, um, it is so much better today because my kids know my heart desire. My children know that I love them deeply. My children know that I am, I'm sorrowful for the mistakes that I made with them. You know, I was too busy um, so much of the time in my life. I was too much volunteering, too much working outside the home, too much, you know, feeling my own stuff coming up and not being able to be present for them at times. Um, just a lot of bullet points I could make about how I wasn't there. But I think the reason underlayment of it all was so much that I was just flowing with this emotional roller coaster within me. And so I was unstable, like an earthquake that that happened and the tremors were just kept, kept coming and coming. And that's how it felt inside until the valve started to open and I started to allow eruption to happen. And I allowed tears to come and I allowed um, sentences to be spoken and stories to be said. And um, I began to let truth come and rise to the top of my life and talk about the things that hurt me, things that I did as well as, as hurts that, that I received from others. And, you know, things that I did that were um, at my hand and things that weren't. But what I wanted to say about the emotional piece, you guys, is um, the feeling piece. And I say this in, in meetings that we learn. So I'll, I, I learned so well to stuff my feelings because they could, you know, I, I, I felt I could manage my life better if they just didn't come up. You know, I learned to protect myself. And I know this is true about many of you too, I would suppose, but this is my story. So I am conscious about keeping it in the eyes. Um, I learned to self-preserve myself by not letting my emotions come to the surface, especially the negative ones. I was nice and pleasant. And I thought if I could just do that, then, you know, all would be well in my household. But as I would say in meetings, it's like having... Um, if you're, if my emotions, the feelings were my garbage and I could, that garbage would fill up and I would take my garbage can and I would just move it from the kitchen to the living room. I wouldn't smell it for a while, but then I would smell it. And then how about if I took that garbage can full of that emotion, those emotions, those feelings, 
And then I finally moved it to the, to the basement. Well, I wouldn't smell it for a time, but eventually I would smell it. So no matter where I put that garbage can of emotions, I would smell it. And so I had to learn to take it to the curb and let the garbage men take it and put it in the dump. And that is what I'm talking about with emotional sobriety. The plane of emotions, that how they run so wide and so deep and so different um, were powerful for me, powerful for me to talk about. You know, as an educator, I, I taught many different grade levels, but I taught special ed preschool special ed when I began my teaching career back in 1980. And um, then I started having children in 1986. And I remember feeling so um um, judgmental, going into a store and having uh, a mother with her two-year-old who was at the candy at the checkout and was screaming because they wanted that candy. And I remember thinking, I would never, like my children will never do that. Oh my goodness gracious. Be careful what, I, I had to be careful what I said because it was a reeling of that through my six children, and they all did that. And um, uh, I, I laugh because I think about that two-year-old screaming for that candy. Um, and that was how I was in my emotions, screaming because I felt something and I didn't navigate it uh, how it should be. I didn't pause for, for waiting you know, just because I, I learned that just because I felt something doesn't mean I had to spew it. Just because I felt an emotion didn't mean that I had to just let it out. And actually, emotional maturity is recognizing, oh boy, I'm feeling something. What am I going to do with that? It has always, unless it's a positive emotion, most always been something I needed to temper, something I needed to hold and pause and let sit until I navigated through it, looking at that feeling checks, checklist, checking in with my inner child, checking in and saying, okay, what are you feeling right now? What are you feeling? What is it? And if I couldn't ascertain what it would be, then I walked away for a while. I learned to walk away physically from that situation when I could, whether it was a, <clears throat> pardon me, whether it was a confrontation with my husband, whether it was a tenseness in a, you know, a, um, a team meeting at, at, in the district, if it, whatever it was with my children, I had to learn to walk away because I didn't want to scar anymore. I didn't want to scar my kids anymore, um, which I believe me, I don't want you thinking like, oh, Ellie is just like, she was just such a great parent. You know, in a lot of ways I was and I am, but I did damage to my kids too. In times when I just, you know, I just was, was letting that emotion out without assessing it, without thinking about it. And that's why it's so significant for me and my recovery today to, to make sure I'm doing that. That's my step one. When I am not in a place of, of managing my emotions, I am at step one. I am at step one. That's my unmanageability. And um, I had to learn to do that. 
um, I had to recognize that in my family of origin, I didn't have that modeled. Um, my modeling was let it out, scream. My father was the alcoholic, but my mom was the screamer. My mom was the emotional wreck. Um, I had come to, to appreciate and forgive and recognize all those things about what my mom went through. No, I, I'm grateful my husband did not have, you know, we don't have alcoholism in our family, my, my family with my husband, my children. Um, but I gave grace and mercy to my mother because my mom didn't know where the next uh, meal was going to come from. So I know, again, in her angst, in her anger, in her screaming, her it was fear. It was sadness. It was concern about where she was going to feed her four children that she had one after the other um, and tried to raise with a husband who lost two architectural firms because of his drinking and um, was, you know, in jail and it, in the rehab for months and all these places. And my mom was a stay-at-home mom. Back in those days, a lot of women didn't work. They were home. And my mother was no exception. And so um, I have I have forgiven my mom long ago, ago. My mom is 87. She is still alive. I have such a sweet relationship with my mom. I love my mom. She's one of my closest friends. And it, it wasn't through osmosis. It's because we were able to sit and give each other emotional space to sit and have conversations about what happened back in those years and what happened moving forward. Um, because just because somebody gets sober doesn't mean that things are all changed. It took some time. It took time to heal. And there are still some pockets of woundedness some of those places I can tap into with like with my siblings and their injury and how we injured each other. And, um, and some, I haven't been able to do so because both parties have to be able to do that. And I have some family members from my family of origin that aren't equipped to do that yet. Aren't willing to look at that time in their life yet. Um, but I had to recognize that whatever was done to me, um, and what I learned, I could change it. And I'm, I'm grateful to tell you that I, I did do a lot of changing. Um, you know, God gave me the opportunity of having six children to do it with three boys and three girls. And um, I'm blessed to, um, to, to have that just in conversations with people I sponsor and friends like you and in program that I can just tap into and have conversations with. Um, just checking the time here. How much time do I have left, Dottie? You can go till the top of the hour. Um, give me a time. How much time? Um, 18 minutes. Okay. So it's funny how you think of all this time and I always have a lot I could share, but um, so the emotional uh, um, sobriety, what I, what I, when I know I'm arriving closer to it, it's because I am feeling more centered. I can talk more about that difficulty when it comes up. Um, the things I used to do, I used to give the silent treatment. I used to walk away from you. I would say, talk to the hand. I might swear at you in years past. I would be very closed and not want to talk. Today, I know that I am so much further. You know, I've sprung board far ahead of where I ever was before because I desire, even in difficulty, to talk about that 
that stuff um, because I know what's under it. What's under it is awaiting a better, a deeper relationship with that person. If I didn't step into it with my mom, for example, um, I would not have the sweetness of relationship with my mother. And I'm blessed that I didn't know she was going to still be living all these years later. And she's healthy and, and wonderful. And she's an Al-Anon. And I'm so thankful that we have that connection of 12 steps um, and that she was able to hear me. I, I know that that's not true for a lot of people, but I was able to go deep into those waters and shed tears with my mom and be vulnerable with her and say, hey, mom, this is still a sticking point for me. Can we talk about it? You know, not to condemn her, but to just say, I'm aware that it's a it's a stuffed conduit between us. And I want it to be clear. I, I don't want to have that with you, mom. Um, what I have learned to do is use humor a lot of times too. This life is hard, you know, learning to um, be a healthy ACA uh, um, is hard. It's hard work um, to have great success. Now, there's no graduation. I have learned, you know, 40 years into being in program. Plus, I'm 63, started when I was 12. Oh, and, you know, I am no, not perfect, but I have come a long journey um, and I have learned to use humor. Humor has been wonderful. I have learned to laugh a lot more. There's a, there's comedians. I, I don't like the raunchy comedians myself. I like the good hearted comedians. I like a guy by the name of Michael J.R. Jr. Michael Jr. He is great. I, I look for places I can laugh, a YouTube that, you know, that is funny, something that comes up. I search for jokes. I, I do things. I bring them up at my family meetings with my kids. And just when we're having dinner and I say, Alexa, tell me a joke. And then she says something. Um, and um, that's funny. That's Sorry, funny. I couldn't understand. Oh, <laughs> oh Alexa, stop. Sorry, you guys. <laughs> um, but I can ask her to tell me a joke. And it's funny. Usually there's they're funny or it's St. Patrick's Day. And I say, all right, tell me a St. Patrick's Day joke and something comes on. Um, so I have looked and searched for things. And I think that is emotional sobriety, sobriety too. It's, it's looking for ways to bring color. Like Frank, you have on the screen this gorgeous sunset, sunrise, sunset, I guess it is maybe. And that's lovely. I have seen such beautiful sunsets and sunrises. And I, I am so much more clear in my mind. And so I'm clear in what I see and hear what I hear. Um, a couple more things I'd like to share with you, my my dear friends from, from program, is um, the, the emotionally better I become in my sobriety, the less thin skin my body is. And I just want to really underscore that. That has been a great success for me. I used to be very thin skinned. You know, you would offend me at the slightest things that happened. And I, I could not handle the, 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 the bump in the road very well. Um, today, my skin has gotten thicker, and I'm thankful for that. I have worked hard not to be offended. You know, uh, my pastor at my church, I'm a Christian, and I make no qualms about how much I love the Lord Jesus Christ. That is my story. And my pastor says, um, uh, you know, to, that, that one can be unoffendable. 
And I thought, there is no way. Are you kidding? No way. But, you know, through the last couple of years since he said that, and I've been considering that, I think it's true. I think I can choose to be unoffended about something. Am I still concerned? Yes. Can, can I still, you know, not agree with that? Yes. But it doesn't have to take up this rent-free space in my head. I can accept that we have a difference of opinion or way of living. I can accept that. And I think that's very powerful. I, I have come to appreciate that very much in my life. And to not perseverate. When I have become emotionally mature, more so in my sobriety, um, I have not... Um, I, I'm sorry, I'm just trying to pick up my last couple of points for you. Um, I have asked for forgiveness. I have been willing to forgive, which I think takes a lot of emotional maturity because a two-year-old doesn't ask for forgiveness, right? Uh, my two-year-old self, my seven-year-old self, my 10-year-old self, not so very well asked for forgiveness or would come to you and say, hey, did I offend you? I feel like there's something between us. Have I offended you? Um, that's That takes a big person to do that. And what it did is it cleared the, the thing up right away, that problem, so that it didn't move into another, you know, another offense and then more time to have an offense or, you know, a difficulty between me and the other person. I have come to realize and recognize the importance of relationships. And if you... If you would know me well, you would know that to me, to Ellie, the most important thing in my life is relationships, first with God and then with others. Relationships are the most important thing. I'm not a rich person. You know, I, I do well in my life. You know, I'm blessed to have the things I need and some of the things that I want. But you know what? I'm really rich in you guys. I'm really rich in relationships. I have really good relationships with the mailman. I got to know his name. Hey, Bill, how are you? With my neighbor, you know, with my with my friends. I have good sound. I have really deep relationships and I have relationships that are neighborly and acquaintances and, and others that are just deep. I call them small F friends or capital F friends. Like my friend, one of my friends says lifers, like we're lifers um, for, for friends. And if I didn't have emotional sobriety, I don't think I could have any of that. I don't think I would have a good marriage. I don't think I would have deep relationships with my husband, with other people. It's got to start here in my head before anything flows from my body. And I, I hope if you, if, that that would be one takeaway that you would remember, that it all starts up here and then and it filters down. You know, my heart, my soul. They, they, my heart beats deep today and my soul is, is a, a well of a deepness. You know, I have great compassion in my life today. I feel deeply today. And I say when I talk and I say when I sponsor and mentor and just being every day that I would much rather um, hurt uh, deeply because I love deeply. And, um, I have hurt deeply in my life, but the repair that I have chosen to move into because of emotional maturity, um, I'm grateful for it because I had enough years of numbness 
And I would rather, rather feel pain than feel numb because I can't do anything with feeling numb, but I can with pain. And I, and I love deeply today because of what I've learned about myself and because of uh, risking and because of putting myself out there. Um, where am I on time? Do I have a minute left or am I there? You have nine minutes left. Okay. Will you give me a two-minute warning, Daddy? Okay. I have learned to speak up for myself. If I didn't have the thought in my head, it wouldn't have been a framework of how I needed to be. And so um, the emotional maturity would be, instead of just keeping it in, I learned to stand in front of the mirror. I learned to look at how my posture was. I learned to... Uh, listen to my voice. I mean, our voice, you guys, our voices are so powerful that I have a, a physical voice and I have an emotional voice. I have things that I think about that are good things that need to come out my mouth, that need to be spoken to a person, that need to be said to a group, that need to be expressed to myself. Um, I, I'm a bike rider. I like to ride my, my bicycle, not a motorcycle. Motorcycles are good, but I would be on the back of one. Um, but I have, I love my bike riding. I love my gardening. I have learned to have a voice in conversations out on the, on my bike, in my garden with a group of friends, having lunch, having dinner, whatever. But I, I mentor a girl She's a young girl and um, she was sharing a difficulty with me. She's not a program girl, but she is connected to, to me through my church. And um, she wanted to, she, I could see her woundedness. And I just said to her one day, so-and-so, do you want to just chat? Do you want to talk? And she said, yes, Ellie, I do. And so she came over, we talked, she's been in conversation with me. And then, you know, um, as she got trusting of me as she heard some of my stories she opened up more to you know her heart opened to more to share her stories and she shared with me that she is having an awful time at work that she um, works for a person that she sits behind a desk and um, this person be is her boss a doctor berates her puts her down, um, tells her, you know, oh, you know, your voice is off today. You don't look as well today. You, you know, and, um, and I said, well, what do you do? What's your response? How do you handle that? Because I'm always curious to ask a question. I think that's so powerful. Tell me some more about that. Um, you know, what's going on with that? Tell me some more. And so um, she said, well, I just never have a voice. I never can say. Uh, and, and, and I feel like a two-year-old. She said, I feel so small. I feel so little. And I said, well, when this person is, is coming at you like that, what do you do? Where are you physically? And she said, I'm sitting behind the desk. And so I just said to her, so-and-so, stand up. When he's starting to talk to you, just stand up physically, just stand. You don't have to say a word yet, just stand. And I, and I did talk to her about practicing in front of the mirror. You know, think about her, um, your emotions. I said, how are you feeling? And tell yourself that. Look in the mirror and tell yourself how you're feeling because you can navigate how you feel once you name it. We got to name it. We got to learn what it is. That's why you have those sheets. And then she's got them too. And then you have to name it. 
And, um, and I, so then she came back to me and, and after she stood up and um, she said, Ellie, she called me. She said, I did it. I did it. I said, what did you do? She said, I stood up. I said, and then what happened? She said, he stopped talking. He, he, he asked me why he was standing up. And, and I said, well, what did you say? And she said, I just feel like standing up because I had mentioned to her to just say that if that happened. And so she said, I just stood up and I said, and then what happened? And she said, um, he started to stutter and then he said something to me. And, um, and then I, well, the, the, the long story short is I did go into conversation about her, about using iMessages, about saying how she felt and not giving a big story, you know, no, 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 no. I don't deserve to be treated that way. I want you to tell me what I need to do if you need something, but it is not acceptable for you to take my inventory about how I look, how I sound. Do you have something that is cons- that regards my work that you'd like to talk to me about? Otherwise, I need to get back to my work. And she has been learning to do that and calling me and saying, this is so good. And so um, I want to share that with you too. It's powerful to do that. You know, what I have learned is if I don't practice doing the hard stuff in little ways, I will never learn to do the bigger stuff in bigger ways. And it starts small, you know, just like a two-year-old learns to grow to become an adult. I learned that my inner child learned to grow with me. I learned to not to say, talk to the hand to my inner child. I learned to talk to my inner child, that wounded person within me. Um, that's one of the reasons that got me into ACA as, uh, even though I had had all those years of program, I was drawn to this thing I had learned about with ACA because, uh, as a young adult at that time, I would be feeling pretty good. I went through college, you know, I became a teacher. I was doing all these grown up things, but in a conflict, in a conversation where, where it was a difficult thing, I... I felt like a two-year-old. I felt so small. I felt like two people divided and it drove me nuts. I thought, what is this? Well, that's what it was. It was tapping into the beginnings of what happened to me. And that's why the emotional maturity, sobriety became so important. Finally, friends, I had to remember about choice. I have choice in my life. Choice is so powerful. I have learned that I am not willing to let another define me. My God defines me, nobody else. He defines me. And the more I can put that thought in my head, um, the more emotional maturity um, and and stick-to-itiveness I really do have. I have a choice. Okay. I have a choice. I'm defined by God. And finally, too, I can recalibrate myself. If I have some stinking thinking, I have a choice to recalibrate. I don't have to stay in it. I don't have to stay in that stinking thinking. I can turn it. And you know what I've learned is the sooner I turned it, the better my day is. I don't ever have a bad day. I never 
have a bad day ever. I have bad moments in the days, but I don't ever have a full bad day anymore because of this, because I have learned to recalibrate and to be present. My friends, I am so much more that I could say to you, but I'm so grateful for what I did share with you. It's 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 such a joy to share good things that happen because of determination and hard work. I want to leave you with that. Be encouraged, no matter what is happening in your life, that there is always a way out. There's always someone to talk to, and there's always a way to change and grow. Progress, not perfection. Thank you. Thank you for having me tonight.